This is Guns and Butter. I would suggest that these shoes and bare feet, uh, both as being Freemasonic symbols, triggers, but it's also, I would say, possibly like a business card that they leave behind them when these are the operations. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. Today on Guns and Butter, Oli Damagard and Kevin Barrett. Today's show, The Global Tour of Terror, a theory of false flag operations. Oli Damagard and Kevin Barrett were panelists on the Deep Truth Visionaries Speak Out online video conference of July 9th, 2018, produced by No Lies Radio. We begin with a presentation by Swedish investigative journalist and author Oli Damagard on Find the Clues and Connect the Dots, on forensic evidence of manipulated and staged photographs in the media reports of global terror events. Oli Damagard. So, I would like to share to you what uh, might be a super boring presentation or something of immense value. I hope the later. But, uh, well, here we go. I call it, uh, like always, a global tour of terror because this is what I've been uh, tracking down for so many years. And I think that I might have come up with something that can help reveal what is really going on. So prepare yourself. A global tour of terror, revealing the agenda. So the question is, what is actually going on in the world as such? And also, as with any crime, any violent crime and so, you have to look at the forensic evidence. That is what I've been trying to do and really uh, find the specific of the leads, the dots, the clues, whatever, that can show us what's really going on. What is the actual truth of different events? And uh, when you look at crimes, I would say sometimes you have to look for, like if it's a serial killer you're tracking down or a serial rapist or so on, you find uh, for similarities, symmetries in, in the crime scene, similarities, uh, clues that are identical, left on different crime scenes and so on, that will help you point out who the guilty part in is, is in this. And so I've, I've named this uh, presentation, Find the Clues and Connect the Dots. Now, we are being told that the world is filled with Muslim terrorists looking more or less like this, or the legal version uh, uh, underneath. So I ask you, would an fundamentalist group be able to affect Western media? Would they be able to control what images are being used in Western media, in newspapers all over the Western world, or not? I would suggest that that would be way beyond their control. Their, their part would be blowing themselves up and so on, but they could not affect media in, in a distinguished way. So let's see, what are we seeing here? And over the years, I've done this for 30 odd years. And one of the things that I found is that I keep running into these shoes everywhere where there's an alleged uh, terror attack. Uh, there are these shoes that are left there uh, normally more or less invisible. They're there somewhere in the image, but it's not what you're looking at, but they're always there. 
And uh, one of the things that I found in my research was that I was contacted by uh, Freemasons that told me that this is actually a Freemasonic sign that shows you one shoe off of a victim or somebody involved. One shoe off means that they're taking part of this operation voluntarily. Two shoes off means that they're, uh, it's a homage to the sacred space where this is being carried out. But it's one step further, I would say, because these shoes appear on so many different areas. And so if we go back in history, the shoes, what are the shoes a sign of? And when you look at in a historical uh, way, the first time I really encountered these shoes were when it comes to the Holocaust, where they have been used massively in history books and so on, where we keep seeing these mountains of shoes of people that are said to have been killed in these death camps and so on. Also, other war zones like the Balkan War and so on, the shoes appear. You got in Honduras, the death squads, the shoes appears and so on. So it seems like the shoes are a sign that keeps uh, being repeated. Then um, I can really recommend a film, a movie called Wag the Dog. It's a very, very interesting film with Robert De Niro and Dustin Hoffman. And it's about how when a president is uh, in a tricky spot, how they can call in experts and set up a diversion. In this case, it's a movie where uh, it's almost identical to the situation with uh, Bill Clinton in the White House and Monica Lewinsky, and how they needed to divert the attention away from this disaster. And so in the movie, they very realistically create a war that doesn't exist against Albania because it's so far away that most people in the States haven't even got a clue where it is. So they, they do that in media. They stage the whole thing, divert the attention away. And one of the key things in this uh, movie is the shoe here as well. They come up with this theme of a shoe. Uh, they throw up some shoes over a telephone pole and up in the tr some trees and so on. They even get Willie Nelson to play a song uh, like they, they make out. It's like recorded in the 1920s. Uh, called the old shoe and the hero, uh, the returning war hero that they need also in this drama. They always need heroes when, when they uh, do the storytelling of these uh, alleged events. And the guy that they bring home is, he's played by Woody Harrison and he's called the old shoe as well. So the shoe is very, very central in this. And uh, I've done many interviews on this theme and lately, I also done uh, interviews with a CIA, a former whistleblower, um, former um, private contractor called Cody Snodgrass, which I think is one of the most important uh, whistleblowers in modern times, at least at this point. Very, very incredible information he's coming out with. And we were doing a show together, and I kept talking about these shoes. And then he said, have you ever thought of that uh, when uh, people are being broken down in, uh, in mind control experiments, for instance, like they're being uh, created into assassins or fall guys or whatever, what, what they do in these very brutal methods uh, to create uh, patsies that can be used for whatever, they break them down through horrific tortures, uh, sexual abuse, uh, verbal abuse, you name it, uh, absolute pure pain. And while doing it, one of the things they do is they, they hold up like uh, uh, symbols in front of the person uh, that are being uh, subjected to this horrific treatment. And this symbol 
they they always use the same symbol for this same individual. It could be like upside down swimming dolphins or or wavy lines or whatever. And this then becomes a trigger, like a trigger image that can be used with this individual to trigger him into becoming uh, in that alternative state of mind or alternative personality can then be used to activate this, this agent. I mean, they can uh, activate a second part of the personality with the trigger in itself. And Cody said, I believe that these shoes are there as a trigger uh, so that every time we see an alleged terror event or anything uh, horrific actions uh, that are really fear uh, boosting in, the, in the, the population, they leave these shoes there as a trigger. So I'm asking myself, that made a lot of sense. So I'm asking myself, is this possible? Are these shoes that are left there in so many different images there to trigger us, to keep us in fear mode? And if so, uh, is it being used sort of in an organized way? Uh, is it possible that we're seeing alleged terror attacks, war zones, suicide bombers around the, uh, the planet that are actually coordinated and are actually uh, where these shoes are left there as a trigger through media to keep the rest of us in massive fear mode, constant fear mode. I ask you, and this is what I would like this presentation to be about. So here we see also um, uh, articles in the newspapers, they use the shoe. What has a shoe to do anything with a terror attack? For instance, here, which countries have had the most terror, terrorist attacks? What on earth has a shoe to do with that. If I, I used to work as a photographer and journalist, if I'd come home with a photo of a shoe after an alleged terror attack, I would have get my butt kicked. I mean, I would have been fired saying, what were you thinking? I mean, come on, get a photo of what is really important. So why the shoe? We look at the, the different uh, countries and so on where alleged terror attacks have happened suicide bombers, alleged suicide bombers, and so on. And uh, for instance, in 2016, it's the same countries more or less now, we had uh, Iraq, Afghanistan, Pakistan, Nigeria, Syria, Somalia, India, the Philippines, Yemen, Thailand, are uh, the main ones. And then the rest of the world has about 10% of them. So let's have a look at different countries and see uh, if we're able to find these shoes. So here we have the Westminster Bridge attack, where very, very bizarrely, you have like uh, here to the right, this woman is trying to save this man after this alleged attack. And what have they done? She's giving him a uh, mouth to mouth uh, and so on. But before that, she's made absolute sure to take off his shoe, put them very uh, neatly on the pavement and right there uh, for the photographer to get a shot of the shoes there. We have different victims. I'm just showing a few here because I've got hundreds and hundreds where victims are coming with one shoe off. That means that that person is taking part of this operation voluntarily if it is one of these signs. Uh, also, the shoes are, are left everywhere. We go continue here. Is the, it's not All of these photos I'm going to show to you are different attacks different alleged suicide bombers and so on, not from the same event. So here we have the London Bridge attack, which was not the same as the Westminster Bridge. 
what do we see? We find a shoe placed extremely central in uh, one of the images. And these shoes, they just have to be there in a subtle way for us to be, for our subconscious to grab it and, and get it in there. Here we have the Manchester uh, arena bombing, the alleged bombing there. Please, every time I say the name of a terror attack, add the word alleged before it. So here, the shoes, the shoes, the shoes. Here's one of the of, uh, women here. It said that she was uh, hit uh, by shrapnel from the bomb and they show the shoe. Uh, we stand together, the shoes are there. People that uh, come out from there, they come without the shoes. Why would you take your shoes off if you're trying to escape or you come out of attack? Here we have the Westminster Bridge attack where a, a police officer is said to have been stabbed to death, uh, where an MP is out there instead of the normal medical uh, people here, the ambulance drivers and so on, doing CPR. This man, uh, the MP is doing CPR and later named a hero, once again, the hero. He was knighted by the Queen and so on. He was also in charge of... Uh, when uh, a lot of the uh, English tourists was uh, killed in Tunisia, uh, he was also in charge of that whole operation. And here we have like the bare feet are almost like a, a religious old painting. The feet are the center of the image. So there was one guy that had tried to save uh, his life. He, he does not appear on any photos, but uh, he was invited to the TV studios next morning. And how did he come into the studio? He came without no shoes because he said he lost the shoes when he tried to save uh, this police officer. I don't know how you lose your shoes doing that. And then, of course, when he was invited for the first time on national TV, I would suggest, were they the only shoes you had? Maybe you should put on some other ones, get some, buy some, take some sandals, at least socks. No, here he came bare feet into the studio and his bare feet was part of the conversation. I would suggest that these shoes and bare feet, uh, both as being Freemasonic symbols, triggers, but it's also, I would say, possibly like a business card that they leave behind them when these are the operations. So in media in England, what was the images that was being spread on, uh, on the newspapers? They were the shoes. You see how this strange blood underneath it, there's no blood coming from the body, but here we have uh, this alleged victim, you can also see that these shoes have hardly been walked on. Uh, I believe that this was not a real body, but here you have uh, the image, the shoe again, triggering, triggering. Madeleine McCann, uh, this girl that uh, was uh, kidnapped and nobody really knows what happened to a very uh, famous case in England and has spread uh, all over the world. When that was lately uh, reported in the news, what was the image used? The shoes. Then here, the, some latest uh, thing also when it comes to other events, like here is an uh, alleged uh, accident uh, from an uh, airplane uh, show, an exhibition where it said that the plane crashed. What is the photo? Is it of, of the crashed plane? Is it of some cars that it said to turn on fire of the victims? No, a shoe. Here we have, uh, very recently, there was two police officers stabbed in Greenock in England. What is the photo? The shoe. There's a whole wave of stabbings in the, U in the UK at the moment where the shoes are there every single time. The shoe, the shoe, the shoe, the shoe. 
And then when Theresa May, the Prime Minister of, of England, uh, when she celebrated Christmas, what did she put on top of a Christmas tree? A shoe. I mean, who does that if it's not a message being sent out there uh, also for the people in the know, people that are involved in these operations, are this sort of like a secret communication system that every time they, they send out this message, people in the know around the world, they will see, okay, that's our operation, that's another one, that's another one. I I'm, I'm, have not been able to prove this, but I'm asking the question. So here, let's go to France. We got the Charlie Hebdo, what is outside the car of the terrorist, a shoe. When they uh, run over, it's said to they've said to have shot this uh, police officer. They run back, and the guy on the passenger seat, what does he do? He picks up the shoe, throws it in the car, and they take off. Even though he has got two shoes on and the other shoe as well, so there was an additional shoe. And why did he even bother to pick it up? You got other terror events in France, the shoe. You got the the. the Riots afterwards, you got like uh, almost an uh, ice white shot individual in the black cape there at the bottom right, and right in front of it, a shoe. And then you got uh, the Bataclan one, shoes again, left there, and more or less always Nike shoes. It's, uh, it's a repeated thing. Then you had the Bataclan massacre on November the 13th, uh, 2015. And what is the symbol? You got like running blood on the wall. And somebody has goose and put there. If I got back to the uh, to the newspaper with photos like this and said, I'm, I want this photo, the editor would say, get out of here. No way. We want good photos. What the hell were you doing collecting our shoes? What is up with these shoes? So you had to ask yourself, how come that they have been published in mainstream media in these countries? Here we have Ireland, a recent uh, shooting of a... Top, the dad of a top-level boxer. Then you have from many of the alleged bombings by IRA, the victims, what is there? The shoes. We go to Norway. What is the image that we are being shown from the mass shootings in Norway? Shoes. Italy. Here, uh, it is one story. I believe that there's so many stories being spread in media, mainstream media at the moment, that are just not true. They're just there as part of the whole psyop into freaking us out, uh, into believing uh, this whole thing with uh, a mass invasion of immigrants, all the violence, the crime rates going up. It's the same in all uh, Western European countries, the same stories. And here it's said that in Italy, uh, these people uh, put a homeless guy on fire. So why what would you take the photo of, the, the burnt body, the crime scene? No, shoes. And here, after the uh, alleged riots, uh, it was, uh, there was a big football game, uh, Juventus. Well, what happened there? The shoes. I also want to point out when we talk about Italy that at this very moment, the Bilderberg meeting 2018 is taking place in Turin. And uh, every single year, uh, just about a week or so before, there's been... An alleged terror attack, I would suggest, as a diversion for us to look the other way, look away from what is actually going on. Denmark, here we have shoes lined up. This is not about the terrorism, but this is about people who have died because they cut down on so many different areas in society. 
So why the shoes? And also, who can control the media in all of these countries? You have to ask yourself, what is going on here? The Belgium airport uh, uh, attack, the shoes. Afterwards, there was 9,000 shoes put out in a Brussels square, had nothing to do with each other, but the shoe is used once again. Benghazi, Libya, what are the photos we're being shown after this whole thing? The shoes. Who would bring like a rubber, uh, a rubber boot and just a shoe and put it right in the center of the image? You got the crime scene in the background. What is the photographer doing taking photos of shoes instead of being where he should be at the scene of whatever happened? Here, another one down to the right, another event, the shoes in the foreground. Spain, alleged terror attacks, different ones. What do we see? The shoes. The shoes, the shoes, the shoes. We go to Iraq. I mean, this is the home of the most terror attacks ever. What do we see? The shoes. And look at how they're positioned. It's not just a shoe. It is there to tell you something. It is there for a reason. And this uh, lady shoe to the left, if it was part of that, wouldn't there be blood spatter on top of it? Or is that one put afterwards? I would suggest when you look at it, it is put there afterwards. This is a, in a staged crime scene. If it's real or not, I don't know, but that one is sending out a message. In Sweden, the alleged uh, truck attack here, shoes, shoes, shoes. Then after there was a second truck attack in Sweden that most people hadn't heard, heard about, this truck was uh, abandoned there. And when you look at the aerial footage of that truck, what is hanging on the telephone line on top of the truck, a pair of trainers. And here there were some alleged riots in Sweden a while ago with alleged Nazis and immigrants. And what do we see here? Once again, a pair of shoes in front of the ambulance. A normal professional photographer, if the shoes were standing there, he would kick them to the side and take a photo of the ambulance, not there. And you will see there's an additional shoe in front of the left uh, front tire. What are they doing there? Here we have a girl, 11-year-old, that is said to have been killed at the truck attack in Stockholm. I've heard there are some horrific images of a torn body, very, very horrific images of a torn body of a child after this event. But I've had doctors look at that, people that have been working in emergency wards for more than 20 years, and she told me that is not a real human body because there would have been a total bleed out the body is totally massacred and more or less no blood whatsoever so he said that is not a real that is not a real body and then the dad of this alleged victim he's only done one interview and in the interview one of the things one of the first things that the the uh, interviewer says that yeah and on this day she was so happy because you had just given her a pair of shoes didn't you and uh, he says yeah so the shoes, the shoes here, mass shooting at a nightclub, the Regina Club in, in Istanbul. What are the photos we're being shown? Shoes. Here's another alleged attack in Turkey. Shoe. Here, another one. Another one. They're not the same events. Please understand that these come from different terror attacks. And here we have the Ankara airport uh, terror attack. Why on earth would you place a pair of trainers in the front of the image? 
if they were not very important. It's taking up like one-fourth of the image, Nike trainers. Tunisia, the alleged terror attacks there, what are the photos that are being shared in international media? Shoes, shoes, shoes. And this was where this MP in England, he was in charge of that. Even in Iran, we have an alleged shooting of a politician here. And what is left on the crime scene? A shoe. Pakistan. I mean, is this getting boring for you? Because it's very repetitive. But then again, please see what is going on here. The alleged terror attacks, the alleged suicide bombers, the alleged all of these things. But as part of the operation, this is what we're being shown. And here we have an alleged mass shooting, which was an incredible shooting. It was in Peshawar at a school. You got a major shoe there as well. And at this shooting, it was very different from other shootings because here on BBC and many other photos from the event, uh, there were photos of, of Noah Posner, uh, a young boy, six years old, that was said to have been killed in Sandy Hook two years earlier. And you can see it's the same photo. Even his father has been confronted with this, uh, asking him, how could your son reappear and, and get killed yet again? Two, two years later, almost on the day, but this time in Peshawar, Pakistan. And when you look at the official crime photos, you have all of this horrific stuff, blood, 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 and what is in the center of the image? Shoes. Yemen. How surprising. Shoes, 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 shoes. All of these alleged suicide attacks leaving shoes. Syria. Agony of victims. The shoes again, school bombings, suicide bombers, they show the shoes, Nike shoes once again. Here, uh, they're also from, from a nursery. They said that they blew up a nursery. What do we see here? Blood stains and shoes. And please notice that the color of the blood is extremely red, even though it's said to be hours and hours after uh, these alleged events, that the, the blood is still this very, very powerful red, which is not normal. I mean, uh, blood very quickly goes into a brown, rusty type of color, depending, of course, from where in the body it comes from and the amount of oxygen and so on. But it oxidizes very, very quickly. And here, more in Syria, uh, also a, a photo propaganda thing about against Assad with the shoes right on top of his photo. Nepal, of all places, there was a, a cathedral bombing there. And so, of course, what images would you use? A shoe. Russia. Here's an alleged uh, plane crash in Russia. So what do you take photos of? The plane? I would suggest would be a good idea. No, the shoe. Somalia. Here we come. How surprising indeed. Here we go to Palestine, Israel. So here is a, a pizzeria blown up in, in Israel or Palestine. So what do we see? We see broken glass and a pair of shoes. We got more from Israel here. And when you look at these operations, uh, I mean, the things that comes every single time when it comes to false flag terror, Mossad is there, 
CAA is there working hand in hand, being in bed together, sometimes MI6, sometimes also using the intelligence agencies in whatever country they're carrying it out. And sometimes they use um, agencies from a neighboring country that they will then carry out the operation, but will not be easily identified as would um, local uh, agencies, because you never use the people uh, from the same country because they could be uh, identified by just by coincidence and so on. So you always use uh, from other countries. Here, also a Palestinian so-called terrorist is being arrested here. What have we got in the middle of the photo? The shoe. Shoes, shoes, shoes. So the Bali, the Bali bombing 2002. What's there? The shoe. How come the FBI was there almost before the local police even came to the site? It was a massive, massive two explosions. The Sari Club and the uh, Paddy Bar. I've been, I've been recently been on location and checking it out. It's an incredible thing. The year after 9-11, uh, getting Indonesia and Australia into the war of terror and the memorial images and uh, so on. What are we looking at? Shoes. Thailand, how surprising we got shoes again. Look at the way they're, they're placed. Is that what it looks like if a bomb has exploded or something like that? Would you place the shoes like that? And often it's not a pair of shoes, like somebody has been killed. There would be two shoes, but most of the time it's just one shoe. And here on the equipment, when the police comes to the site in Thailand, checking out the bomb site, it says on the equipment, FBI. So I would ask, what is FBI doing in all of these countries? Because they are there, I tell you. I thought FBI was supposed to be in the US only, not anymore. Kenya, Africa, and so terror attacks, uh, suicide bombers, what are we looking at? Shoes, university shootings, supermarket sh uh, shootings. Nigeria, here we come, shoe, shoe, shoes. More shoes from Nigeria. Afghanistan, I mean, come on, you must be kidding me. More shoes of alleged terror attacks. Afghanistan is one country that has been hit very, very badly. But they use these images, like the top left one, that is not about a terror, terrorist attack. It's about a murder of a local politician. Uh, but what do they take of the photos of the crime scene, the, of the body? No, not at all. They use the shoe again. It continues, 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 shoes, 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 even <laughs> in Canada and the US and everywhere. Let me just uh, uh, show you uh, also the Boston bombing. The symbol of the whole thing of the Boston bombing is the shoe. So uh, let me quickly show you from the Charlottesville's uh, alleged car attack. This is the car, car that is said to have just crashed into the crowd and is leaving the site. And here, when the car leaves, what does it leave behind? A shoe. So who, who on earth have the power to coordinate all of these things? And also, recently, Benjamin Netanyahu, who is the master of terror, if you ask me, he invited the Japanese uh, PM for, for dinner. And what was the dessert? It was served in a shoe, which I would say is the ultimate... Uh, uh, insult and here you got like nike shoes even the blood spatter on some of their models and they've even used it in their marketing you may not survive the blast but your shoes will 
I mean, somebody needs to ask uh, Nike what is going on. And while looking for all of these images, I came across this image. And when I clicked on it, guess where it's linked? I click on it. And where did it take me? The CIA's own website, CIA.gov. And I would say this is where all the dots get connected. So with that said, I want to thank you for your patience. I'm sorry if I was very repetitive, but I think there is a very clear pattern going on here. And uh, I think the more we see these patterns and we start understanding what's going on and also exposing the forces behind them, then we can stop so much mayhem in this beautiful, beautiful world that is meant to be a paradise and is now turned into absolute hell for a lot of people. You've been listening to investigative journalist and author Oli Damagard on Find the Clues and Connect the Dots from the Deep Truth Visionary Speak Out online video conference produced by No Lies Radio. Next, we hear from author and radio host Kevin Barrett on Zionism, Psychopathy, and the Hijacked Provocation. Today's show, The Global Tour of Terror, A Theory of False Flag Operations. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. So I'm going to be talking about the theory of false flag terror a little bit. It's hard to study the issue of false flags because obviously the people involved in them are unwilling to divulge most of the information about them. It's only on a fairly uh, rare uh, number of occasions that people who have been involved in false flags will say anything at all about them. People like Robert David Steele, who actually ran a false flag for the CIA, is not allowed to say anything other than that he did that and that nobody died, but he can't go into the details. It's all still classified. So uh, we're studying a subject that is 99% underwater, like an iceberg. We only see the tip. And to try to figure out what's going on, we have to connect the dots and work with inadequate information and all kinds of clues, as well as the, you know, the hard facts that do get reported that end up ineluctably pointing towards the truth of these matters. So with that said, uh, I'm going to say that the presentation I'm doing is on this uh, new book by Laurent Guyenot from Yahweh to Zion. It's the culmination of his roughly decade study of false flags. And as a historian, I think that Laurent is in a very good position to uh, study false flags because journalists really have a hard time with false flags. They happen in real time. The journalists have to report in real time. And obviously the people are not telling the truth about this. The information is not available for journalists. So it takes somebody like a historian who can piece together all of the evidence and the clues and ultimately often go back in time to see what has emerged about events in the past, who's more likely to be able to tell us how these things work, uh, who actually is behind them, what they do precisely, what kinds of networks carry these out, how do they give orders to do things when this is all so uh, top secret, is there anything written, how does it get destroyed, all of this. So my presentation is focusing on three uh, contributions that Laurent has made to the study of false flags. And these in the title, I'm listing Zionism, psychopathy, and the hijack provocation. We're going to start out with the last one, the hijack provocation, and work our way to the uh, two earlier ones. So 
what what is a hijacked provocation? Well, before we get there, let's just introduce Laurent Guyenot. He is uh, an engineer from the Ecole Nationale Supérieure in Paris, and he earned his PhD a little later in medieval studies at the Sorbonne. He's written several books, uh, some on medieval history, and his two most recent books take up the subject of false flags. JFK 9-11, published by Progressive Press a few years ago, and then From Yahweh to Zion, which I translated and published just a few months ago. In the book We Are Not Charlie Hebdo, which I edited a few years ago, Dr. Guyanot uh, contributed a terrific chapter, which I think is really the one that gives us the theory of how these hijacked provocations uh, work, how false flags sometimes are actually run as joint operations by more than one intelligence agency. And it may be that one intelligence agency is hijacking the operation from another one. And that seems to be what happened in the 2012 Mohammed Mera affair that Dr. Guyano discusses in his contribution to We Are Not Charlie Hebdo. This event was essentially a, a two-part series of events, a little bit like Charlie Hebdo itself and many other of these events. Uh, remember in the Charlie Hebdo event, we had a bunch of cartoonists that killed allegedly by angry Muslim radicals. And then we had a shooting and kidnapping hostage taking event at a kosher deli, tying together the attack on the nation and on free speech, that's the cartoonists, and then the attack on uh, Jewish targets or Israel which was the attack on the kosher deli. The same thing happened earlier in 2012 with the Mohammed Mera affair. Uh, he was the patsy who was blamed for these two totally separate and actually in reality probably essentially unconnected violent episodes. Uh, the first thing was on March 11th, uh, these tattooed guys wearing neo-Nazi tattoos, presumably uh, French soldiers, shot uh, three North African French soldiers in Montabon, France. And... Uh, various indicators suggest that this was, in fact, a DCRI false flag, that is a French intelligence false flag, designed to demonize the National Front, the Front National, which is the supposed uh, extreme right neo-Nazi party, in order to help Sarkozy, who was about to go down. Sarkozy was in serious trouble in that election. The National Front was taking away the votes that he needed to win in the first round. And then suddenly uh, there was this attack by apparent neo-Nazis, which uh, demonized the National Front and actually helped Sarkozy survive in the first round. So that was the March 11th shooting. And then March 15th, another one, which helps make it even more of a publicity thing. And then on March 19th, there was a, a totally separate shooting at a Jewish religious school in La Roserie, Four people were said to have been killed, but uh, there's no evidence actually that they were. That is, no autopsies were allowed and the victims' bodies uh, were allegedly immediately taken to a, a plane and flown to Israel uh, to be buried as national heroes. But Laurent thinks that very likely there was actually uh, no real shooting there. Then on March 21st, Mohammed Merah, who probably had nothing to do with either event, but who was a, a usual suspect, who was essentially a, a party-hardy guy. Uh, they told us he was a radical Muslim, but he wasn't. He was not religious in the least, and he was working for the intelligence services, and therefore they were able to manipulate him, and he was set up and executed in a dramatic uh, night-long event. He was actually killed in the evening, and then they pretended that he was still alive and kept firing shots all night and uh, made up a false story about him leaping through a window and so on. Uh, so it was a huge uh, television spectacular. So the hypothesis is, according to Lauren Guyano, that 
the Israeli Mossad was able to seize upon this first uh, series of shootings of the French soldiers, the Montalban affair, and then they created a fake shooting at the Jewish school and then claimed that the same guy did it. And this, of course, hijacks the whole thing to use for pro-Israel publicity, sending the message to the public that those who protest the war in Afghanistan and the coming war in Iran are killers of Jewish children. And then it also left French intelligence, the DSGI, vulnerable to blackmail uh, because they had, of course, been involved in the Montabon operation. So now they're forced to go along with the Mossad agenda because the Mossad has the goods on them. So this is a hijacked provocation. That is a false flag started by one uh, intelligence service and its assets and then hijacked by another one and perhaps actually magnified by another one. Could this explain any of the major false flags that we've seen? Well, Laurent Guyenot says, yes, the two big ones, JFK and 9-11. This is uh, Jack Ruby on the right, or Jacob Rubenstein, who was a uh, hired killer for Mickey Cohen, uh, the Jewish gangster who ran the West Coast for the Meyer Lansky Syndicate at the time, and who on live television walked in, into the Dallas Police Department and killed Lee Harvey Oswald, the patsy or alleged lone assassin. According to Laurent Guyenot, Gary Ween may be right. Now, how many JFK researchers have even heard of Gary Ween? Not a whole lot. But uh, Ween actually may be barking up the right tree, according to Lauren Guyano, and suggesting that, uh, in fact, he got this straight from Senator John Tower, that this uh, JFK assassination was, in fact, what Tower called a double cross of fantastic dimensions, in which a, a fake assassination attempt staged by Howard Hunt and the CIA originally, and there's a lot of evidence to support this, that the first plans for the Dallas coup involved creating a fake assassination attempt against Kennedy to be blamed on the Cubans to trigger war on Cuba, which Kennedy had been leaning against, but this would have inflamed the country and forced a war on Cuba. So that's the CIA original uh, uh, attempt on Kennedy. It was supposed to be a fake assassination. And then, according to Gary Ween's information, as well as other information, uh, a what Ween calls the Russian Jewish Mafia, which is essentially Meyer Lansky's mob, which is essentially organized crime, the biggest organized crime syndicate in the world and in the United States at that time, uh, moved in and took it over and actually killed the president. But of course, behind this mishpaka or the so-called Russian Jewish mob and Meyer Lansky, of course, we have the Israeli Mossad, David Ben-Gurion, who had just resigned in outrage over Kennedy's insistence that Israel would never get nuclear weapons. And of course, the CIA uh, Mossad infiltrator, James Jesus Angleton, was likely a major orchestrator of the Kennedy assassination as well. So uh, again, we have a possibility of a hijacked provocation with 9-11 as we had, according to Lauren Guyanot, perhaps a U.S. deep state plan for a more limited false flag attack, uh, perhaps just at the Pentagon, maybe plane crashes at the, at the Twin Towers, who knows, but something that was aimed at justifying the invasion of Afghanistan. But this then may have been taken over by the infiltrated Zionist network, whose goal was much more ambitious. This was from Yahweh to Zion, and Again, Lauren Guyano points out that the many players involved in 9-11 will essentially all have blackmail material on each other and be able to silence any who would otherwise get out of line. And that means that if indeed it were a more limited operation, in the same way that the JFK assassination may originally have been planned to be just a fake assassination attempt, 
Here, uh, if it were a more limited false flag that was suddenly turned into a massively murderous one with nearly 3,000 people dead, that those who had planned the more limited one would be in no position to expose the murderous, the massively murderous one. And there's some evidence to suggest that Guillenot could be right about this. According to Susan Lindauer, who worked for the CIA Iraq desk, uh, she was handled by her case officer, Richard Fuse. They both knew, Richard Fuse learned and told Susan that a huge terror attack was coming uh, to Manhattan. Something big was coming to Manhattan anyway in late August, early September. And then on the morning of 9-11, Susan Lindauer was on the phone with her CIA case officer, Richard Fuse, and together they watched the Twin Towers burning and then suddenly exploding. And according to Susan Lindauer, Richard Fuse's reaction was this anguished, anguished scream, the goddamn Israelis. Uh, this is one, you know, one piece of evidence that would go along with Lauren Guillenot's hijacked provocation hypothesis, that is that people in the CIA like Fuse knew something was planned. It was an inside job in that sense that the U.S. command chain was in on it, but that perhaps the uh, murder of 3,000 people was a little more than they had realized was going to happen. There's all sorts of evidence that Israel was behind what happened at the Twin Towers. So another piece of evidence suggesting that 9-11 may have been this kind of hijacked provocation is the testimony from people on board Air Force One that essentially they were uh, uh, targeted by somebody on the inside who had the code name for Air Force One, that was Angel, was threatening to shoot George W. Bush out of the skies after his plane took off from the elementary school in Florida. And so this means that there was a coup d'etat style attack from one rogue network within the government against the rest of the government, uh, as Webster Tarpley has pointed out in his work. And Bush, uh, while on Air Force One, here he is on Air Force One on September 11th, he begged to return to Washington and take command, and Cheney refused the president's direct order, telling you who was actually acting president on September 11th. This, of course, was an act of treason by Cheney. Bush was sent to Barksdale Air Force Base and then finally to Offutt Air Force Base in Nebraska against Bush's own wishes. Something happened to him there at Office Air Force Base. We don't, don't know what. Then he was flown back to Washington, and that night he did his hostage video TV thing and said uh, America is at war, read his lines that he was ordered to read. So there was obviously a coup d'etat by one faction of the government against other factions. And again, this goes along uh, with Lauren Guillenot's hijacked provocation hypothesis. So more details about this hijacking of Air Force One and the threats against Air Force One came out just a couple of years ago on 9-11-2016 uh, from NBC News of all places that uh, Bush was furious and virtually unable to communicate with the outside world. So that is the, the coup plotters had essentially uh, gotten control of the president and perhaps Cheney was on board with some of those uh, Israeli coup plotters. So an overview of hijack provocations includes, in, in all of these examples that we've seen, and there are a few others as well, we have a Western intelligence agency scheduling some kind of illegal operation, whether it's French intelligence shooting a couple of its own soldiers as a favor to Sarkozy to help him get elected, or it's the CIA setting up what's supposed to originally be a fake assassination attempt on Kennedy, or it's the CIA or, or Bush and, and the US people setting up some kind of limited false flag on 9-11. Then it's hijacked and massively magnified, and especially in the latter two cases, by Israeli intelligence in collusion with their network of Sanem, which of course are the 
100,000 plus uh, Jewish people around the world who are willing to volunteer for Mossad. Many of these people are in the very highest positions of power in countries all over the world. And then elements of organized crime, which is also largely dominated by people who are ethnically Jewish and who have a loyalty to the state of Israel. So the result is that the false flag is turned to serve Israel's interest. And those who know what happened, like Richard Fuse, the CIA case officer who knew something that was coming on 9-11, and then who realized what Israel did afterwards, have already been implicated, and they have to stay silent. And then Richard Fuse also got, I think it was something like $10 million in hush money after 9-11, which he used to build a mansion uh, near Washington, D.C., as uh, Susan Lindauer has described. If you want a kind of a sketch of how this is done, check out John Le Carre's book, The Little Drummer Girl. It's a, ostensibly a novel, but it's all based on information that John Le Carre got from uh, an inside Mossad source who describes precisely what the Mossad has been doing, how it runs rings around Western intelligence agencies in creating the theater of terror, uh, that is false flag terror events. And another kind of hijacking is hijacking of truth movements. Lauren Guillenot argues that much of the 9-11 truth movement has knowingly or unknowingly been hijacked by Israel. The inside job phrase, he argues, is a catchphrase invented by Israel precisely to threaten the American government with massive destabilization if anybody in the American government ever tries to come forward with the truth about 9-11, which is that it was primarily an Israeli operation, uh, then they're in a position to bring down the American house by having prepared this truth movement saying inside job, inside job, inside job. It was the Americans that did it, the Americans that did it. Well, uh, Guyanot argues that the major false flags in particular are disproportionately uh, Zionist or Israeli. Uh, he points out that Israel has a long history and grand expertise in false flag terror. A world history of false flag operations would need to dedicate at least half its pages to modern Israel, a nation less than half a century old. And I've listed some of the examples. Uh, some of these false flags are admitted. The King David Hotel bombing in which uh, Mossad operatives or proto-Mossad operatives dressed up as Arabs uh, blew up the King David Hotel. Uh, the Levant affair in which Mossad operatives uh, targeted Americans in Egypt and would have killed many Americans if fortunately things had, hadn't gone wrong for them. The Israeli government recently, uh, not long ago, admitted that the Levant affair happened, that they did it, and then it gave honors and medals to the people who had planned to murder Americans in Egypt in a false flag attack. So how do we explain this Zionist preeminence in false flags? Uh, Lauren Greeno argues that this paranoid, they want to kill us mentality is inculcated by Jewish scripture, that every year uh, Jews celebrate the, the plagues of Egypt, uh, the killing of the firstborn Egyptians. The book of Esther uh, celebrates the murder of, I think, 70,000 Persians who were supposedly plotting against the Jews. There's this paranoid notion. They, they want to get us. They want to kill us. They want another Holocaust. That excuses everything that we do. So that uh, essentially takes away all restraints, moral scruples, and leads to extreme behavior. Uh, then there's the extreme difficulty of fewer than 15 million Jews invading, occupying, and genocidally taking over the Holy Land of 4 billion Christians and Muslims. Naturally, bold measures would be required for such a nearly impossible project. And then there's the International Sayonim Network and the envy of all other intelligence agencies, hundreds of thousands of Jewish people around the world, many in the very highest positions, who are willing to volunteer free of charge to do anything for the Israeli Mossad. Then there's media dominance. Those who run the media decide which lies stand and which lies fall. 
and media in the Western world is heavily dominated by people who are ethnically Jewish with some degree of loyalty to Israel. They will never let out the truth about an Israeli false flag. They're inculcated to fear that uh, terrible things will happen if they do. And finally, the domination of international organized crime and secret societies, banking and politics, again, by ethnically Jewish people, many, if not most of whom have some degree of loyalty to the state of Israel. Finally, the psychopathy issue. Uh, Laurent Guyenot, uh, in his article, Israel, the Psychopathic Nation, uh, takes up where uh, Andrzej uh, Lobosewski left off in political ponerology, in which he argues whole nations can go psychopathic. Laurent argues that Israel has uh, gone psychopathic in the same way that some communist countries did, according to Lobosewski, uh, perhaps Nazi Germany did, and so on. He argues that the Jewish nation as a state, but also as an organized world community, acts collectively towards other nations and other human communities in the way a psychopath acts towards his fellow men. Disclaimer, it goes without saying, he says, that I do not intend to imply that, quote unquote, the Jews are psychopaths, but instead that they are the first victims of a mental straitjacket imposed by their elites, who through the veritable intellectual terrorism make of them to the extent that they comply the instruments of the collective psychopathy of Israel. So this is collective psychopathy. It's not saying that individual Jewish people are psychopathic, far from it. Israelis are always, and, and Zionists, uh, and to some extent, people who identify strongly tribally as Jewish, are always innocent victims. They see themselves as innocent, always innocent, no matter what they do. The other guy is always wrong. Everywhere we've gone, we've been persecuted and tormented and exterminated, and it's always been their fault. Well, this is exactly what psychopaths say. Martha Stout, one of the world's leading experts on psychopaths, says this is the first clue to a psychopath, is the other guy is always wrong. And then Israel's relationship to the United States, according to Guyano, is that of a typical psychopath uh, who has influenced a powerful and impressionable man that he's going to use to accomplish his misdeeds. And Laurent compares this to Colonel House, the Zionist manipulator of President Wilson, who brought dragged the United States into World War I. Not all Zionist leaders are uh, even willing members of this kind of psychopathic uh, group contagion. Uh, Moshe Sharet was a very honorable, noble, and ethical uh, Israeli leader. He was the foreign minister from 1948 to 1956, and then the prime minister, who was uh, horrified by the methods of Ben-Gurion and other more uh, mainstream Zionists who were dedicated to set the Middle East on fire and frighten the West into supporting Israel's aims by, quote, raising terrorism to the level of a sacred principle. That is precisely what Israel has done, and certainly never so much so as, as since 9-11. So why are people like Sharet and other ethical Israeli leaders, and there have been some, why can't they overcome the psychopathic ideological power machine of Zionism? And finally, this is uh, Laurent Grignot's argument that he makes in from Yahweh to Zion that this is rooted in the Bible. He says, in the final analysis, does not the Zionist manipulation go back to the creation by these ancient priests, the Levites, of a tribal god by the name of Yahweh, who has usurped the title of the creator of the universe and father of humanity? Ultimately, is not Zionism the logical outcome of Yahwism? And then he writes in this article, this is a question I will reserve for another article. Well, in fact, that article turned into a very, well, a moderately long book, 500-some pages, From Yahweh to Zion which again, I translated from French 
and published a couple of months ago, earlier this year. So if you want to follow up on this and entertain this very provocative uh, and, of course, controversial argument, I highly recommend reading from Yahweh to Zion. It got a very uh, favorable, if if uh, say, uh, somewhat including a disclaimer, but if a very favorable review from John Cobb, who is probably the world's greatest liberal uh, Christian theologian. And it's also gotten rave reviews from people like Gilad Atzman and others that you would expect to appreciate this material. It's a very fair-minded attempt to look at the so-called Jewish question throughout history and find out to what extent these uh, issues are rooted in a kind of a culture. It's not racist. It's not about biology. It's, it's all about culture. And we are in a, in a position where we do have to analyze cultural influences on political behavior uh, if we want to understand what's really going on, and especially what's been really going on in the world since September 11th, 2001. You've been listening to author and radio host Kevin Barrett on Zionism, Psychopathy, and the Hijacked Provocation. Today's show has been The Global Tour of Terror, A Theory of False Flag Operations. Kevin Barrett is an author, editor, and radio host of Truth Jihad Radio and False Flag Weekly News. Visit truthjihad.com and noliesradio.org. For more information on Oli Damagard's investigations of assassinations and false flag operations, visit lightonconspiracies.com. That's lightonconspiracies.com. To view the archived live stream of the Deep Truth Visionaries Speak Out online video conference, visit noliesradio.org. That's noliesradio.org. Guns and Butter is produced by Bonnie Faulkner, Yaramako, and Tony Rango. Visit us at gunsandbutter.org to listen to past programs, comment on shows, or join our email list to receive our newsletter that includes recent shows and updates. Email us at faulkner at gunsandbutter.org. Follow us on Twitter at G and B Radio. Hey yo, these are some serious times that we live in, G, and our new evolution of the mind if you seek then you shall find that we all come from the divine you dig what i'm saying now if you take heed to the words of wisdom that are written on the walls of life then universally we will stand and divided we will fall because love conquers all you understand what i'm saying this is a call for all you sleeping souls wake up and take control of your own cipher and be on the lookout for the spirit sniper trying to steal your life, you know what I'm saying, look what decides yourself, for peace, give thanks, live life, and release, you dig me?